Mindfulness Mode 384. There's a lot going for us. You kind of ride the wave of change and, and look for windows of opportunity. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Welcome back, Mindful Tribe. Great to have you with us. I have a free meditation I've created just for you, Mindful Tribe, to help you be more focused. As you know, with more focus, you can get more of the things done in your life that truly matter to you. On this meditation, you'll hear waves, and you'll also hear me talking about allowing a sense of calm to come into your life. This will help you become more relaxed, more peaceful, and just have more of a sense of content. Download this free guided meditation to calm your mind and relax your body. Get it at mindfulnessmode.com slash waves of content. That's waves of content. Today, we're talking about new, more responsible sources of energy. Sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to my interview today with Gene Manning. So, Gene, I'm excited to talk to you about energy and how our world can benefit by improved sources of energy. But first, I want to ask you, Gene, what does mindfulness mean to you? To me, mindfulness means being present in the moment, not dwelling in the past or, or worried about the future. Um, it's in a connection for me with a, a higher state. Um, and, and that's just my, my belief system. <laughs> I appreciate that, Gene. I'm fascinated at your knowledge about energy and new sources of energy. Now, I'd just like to share with Mindful Tribe a little bit about you. Gene Manning is a passionate author and speaker in the field of energy. She's particularly interested in ways we can implement new sources of energy to power the world. She's the author of a number of books about energy inventions, including her recent book called Breakthrough Power, How Quantum Leap New Energy Inventions Can Transform Our World. The book Jean is currently co-authoring is called Hidden Energy, Beyond Tesla to a New Paradigm and Clean Power Abundance. Now, this new book is to be released late in 2018. Gene interviews scientists and engineers seeking a mindful and holistic perspective and unpacks emerging science, its basics, challenges, and ethical issues. Gene and her co-author Susan Manowich celebrate the experts and their supporters in the non-conventional energy technology scene who view the technical breakthroughs as a sacred trust. So, Gene, let's talk about that sacred trust. Tell us about that. What does it mean? Why is it a sacred trust? The possibility exists and has been proven in prototype forms and, and experiments. The possibility of tapping into a more primal level of energy than, than uh, current electricity technologies. Um, and that's the background energy of the universe. And that is where the sacred trust comes in because it's not something to be dealt with by a mindset of exploiting and uh, and using powerful technologies for weaponry or 
destroying life, but but rather uh, requires humankind to step up and uh, take another step forward in 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 evolving to a higher level responsibility before we're going to be. <laughs> It looks like somehow from some higher order allowed to 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 use these technologies. Uh, it was it's similar to uh, the extremes of of AI. This is going to require require a a new level of responsibility if humankind is going to survive this time of. It, it's a time of great promise and a time of great danger at the same time. Interesting. We're using a lot of solar and wind power. Is that our connection to some of the other kinds of power that are, are available? Yes, because it's an example of, of using something freely available in nature, um, perhaps not as efficiently as the uh, emerging technologies, but still much, much better than uh, burning fuels and creating messes and, and uh, spilling oil and uh, radioactive messes. <laughs> much, much better. <laughs> And so can you give us a glimpse into some of these other sources of energy? Okay, there, there are different ways to, to tap into this background energy. And, and one way is, is through um, solid state inventions, which are just you know something that looks like a, a glorified circuit board, uh, but in a geometry that um, is, uses some principles such as resonance, you know, what resonance is in... Uh, music theory and uh, you know, other areas. And um, it also means perfect timing. You know, like uh, if you're pushing on a child on a swing, you don't take one great big huge push and, and, uh, and that's it, but rather um, correctly timed pulses uh, don't have to be big movements, but if they're correctly timed in harmony with, with the motion of the swing, uh, it, it ends up with the same result of the kid swinging really high. So that's kind of a uh, principle of resonance. Um, using the new powerful forms of permanent magnets, tapping into the power of magnetism. In, in the past, there were limits to what could be done, but actually they were kind of imposed by the way that motors and generators have been always built and uh, the mindset that says that they always have to be built that way. So that the laws of physics uh, developed out of uh, studying um, steam engines and everything on onward, uh, the laws uh, apply to those um, those inventions as built, but but building them in a different way with a different mindset of possibilities has uh, shown that that you can get around some of those laws. So we won't get technical about it, but so that's another variety. And um, also dealing with water in forms of um, microscopic bubbles that uh, implode into something called microscopic ball lightning and uh, as a way to run an engine on water. So those are a few of the uh, fascinating, really different approaches that could revolutionize the way we do things. That really would revolutionize our world if we didn't have to use fossil fuels anymore. Gene, how did you become interested in this area of study? Yes, it's quite a stretch from my degree in sociology, because that's all about people, but in a way it isn't, and I'll explain. Um, so I met an inventor back in 1981 who made claims, actually more claims than he was really fulfilling, but he had the vision of what could be done 
with super powerful new magnets. And uh, he made some advances to the field. But anyway, he was he was um, very full of the vision. And I decided to investigate further and ended up going to a couple of international conferences about uh, innovative ways. And, and back then, the scientists working in that field were really considered mad scientists, but now it's a lot more respectable um, in it's still in a minority of scientists that have the courage to step outside the box. Um, but the way that that fits in with my background, uh, being interested in society, sociology, is that this affects society. And I'm, I was always interested in the big picture. Um, not so, I'm fascinated by the science, but that's not my specialty. But I and my co-author are, she's an emotional intelligence specialist. And we're particularly interested in in the scene and uh, its possibilities for humankind and the forces for and against and the um, human traits that uh, cause people to trip up and and the need for mainly the need for integrity in dealing with things in a new way and that's where the new paradigm comes in because something such high stakes can't be brought in under uh, the same practices that have have been used for all sorts of businesses in the past um, there's just just a little bit more um, required from people dealing with this if they're going to succeed in bringing this out to the people and not just um, con continue with secretiveness or um, selling to military interests or different stumbling blocks that have come along that kept it from getting out to the people. War and politics plays a huge role in all of this. How can we get to the point where that will no longer be the case? People just have to start with where they are and know that in these times of great changes, there's a, there's a lot going for us. You kind of ride the wave of change and, and look for windows of opportunity. But again, getting back to the individual, we start with the way we live our own lives, and uh, it, that spreads out to the people around us. And also envisioning a better future, um, because so much thought energy has gone into the Mad Max type of future, which is presented in entertainment media, and, and uh, a lot of uh, pundits are really gloomy about the future. Um, but because of the possibilities, it's time for putting thought energy um, um, propelled by emotions that are positive of gratitude to create a, a better world. I, I'm a firm believer in in the power of our thinking to create change. And that's been proven scientifically by scientists such as Dr. William Tiller, showing how um, intention can affect what matter is doing. So the, the science is emerging too to uh, underscore the possibilities for a really different way of doing things. Yeah, that'll be amazing. How much longer, Gene, do you think we will be using and depending on some of the traditional methods of power like fossil fuels? Oh, I think that there won't be any sudden switchover because of all the... All the uh, what, what would be considered stranded investments if, if um, we didn't continue to, to use uh, uh, utilities that are working. But anything new built in the, in the future will be 
able to be in the in the decentralized arena, um, regional or local power sources uh, that don't rely on a big, huge central grid. So that's what perhaps emerging uh, economies, uh, developing countries might go to just like they switch straight to Wi-Fi rather than uh, telephone lines. Um, and it's probably going to emerge from uh, countries outside of the oil producing countries, I'm afraid to say. No, not afraid to say, <laughs> it's a fact. Your book is called Beyond Tesla. Gene, what are some of the thoughts and ideas that you share in your book, Beyond Tesla? Well, I'm going to make clear that uh, by Tesla, we're talking about Nikola Tesla, the famous inventor, rather than the Tesla Motor Company, which is a good thing in itself, but it's only using Nikola Tesla's uh, 18th century and 19th century inventions. So going beyond just the inventions, but rather um, a whole, all sectors of society getting involved in how they're used and in the decision-making around them. Um, so we call for a balance of male and female energies in the decision-making, uh, rather than this just continuing to be a guy's thing, <laughs> energy, you know, the hard hats and the pylons. And um, we need all that technical expertise, but we also need um, maybe a wisdom council internationally to make big decisions about where humankind is going with our advanced technologies. I want to talk a little bit more about the ethical issues. I know you've touched on this, but how can we approach this topic and be ethical while seeking new forms of power? It kind of boils down to the materialism versus a recognition of a life force um, that the science is, is moving in that direction and, and it's um, leading edges. But as far as individuals, if we're going to have um, businesses and, and um, corporations or, or organizations deciding how technologies be used, that um, shift in consciousness has to start with individuals um, who recognize that we have a responsibility for the future generations. And we are dealing with life force energies, not just something mechanical and mechanistic. So there has to be a, a critical mass of consciousness eventually in order to really shift things around in the big picture. I don't know if that makes it any clearer because it, it is a whole big picture topic that we're just trying to open up the discussion about. Tell us about how you contributed to the book and how Susan contributed and how that worked between the two of you. Actually, I'm more the writer. She, her writing is academic, so I'm doing a lot of the writing. I have um, a background of some 30 years of exploring this field. Susan is of a younger generation, which I'm really happy about because it's great, great energy. And she's uh, out there in the world more than I am at this point. Um, as the president of the New Energy Movement in the U.S. and also um, getting collaborative uh, alliances going with uh, similar groups in Europe and, and elsewhere. Uh, she's doing a lot of traveling, and so we're on Skype or Zoom 
constantly or a lot, and um, she's providing a lot of uh, the updated information about what's going on. And also, we look at things basically in in the same way as as far as the as the ethical and and the moral aspects of this, if you will. So it's a pleasure to work together and uh, mutual encouragement. And so um, the fact that she's not doing the bulk of the writing doesn't uh, make any difference in her importance of her contribution. Um, she's, she's bringing in a lot of uh, insights and knowledge about what's going on right now that uh, I didn't have. So it's a great collaboration. What are some of the methods of transportation you use to get around the world? Do you use air travel? Well, um, I know that it's not terribly mindful about the environment to be doing air travel, but I've had to resort to that in order to get to conferences I've been invited to speak at in Europe. Um, over the years, I've done a lot of, of traveling in a, in a econo car, or at one point I had a little Nissan pickup, a short bed pickup that I had a camper on the back and I drove across North America and interviewed scientists. I actually had a Canada Council for the Arts grant, but it only covered gas, only gasoline. And so it's a good thing I had my truck or I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to make that trip to interview people. And that was back for my first book, The Coming Energy Revolution. And so I would, I would sleep in my vehicle and, and uh, just low budget. You know, I'm going to a, a conference in um, Albuquerque, New Mexico in August and uh, have air miles to take me there. And I have a, uh, one of the speakers is sharing her room. And so, and of course I don't have to, you know, get the, I get the press pass sort of treatment. So um, that helps out a lot. And early on I used to um, use the air miles of a woman who had a magazine called Explore New Dimensions. She traveled a lot to Germany. She was from Germany. And then uh, in return for me writing articles, she would give me her air miles. So that worked really well. Oh, yeah, that's great. Tell me a story about maybe one of the scientists that you interviewed back when you were interviewing so many scientists. Tell us a story about a scientist that was particularly mindful. Oh, one of the most incredible scientists I ever had the privilege of interviewing is the late George Merkel, M-E-R-K-Y-L. Um, he had, I think, multiple doctorates, but he didn't call himself doctor because he was a little fed up with <laughs> his academic establishment. But he told me a story about, as a young boy, uh, he got his start on, on, I guess you could call it soul travel, because he'd been waiting for his mother to come and visit. He was living with his grandparents, and mother didn't show up in the streetcar, so he was a five-year-old in a, in a fit, grabbed onto the rear bumper, and, and it dragged him along, and he knocked out on the cobblestones. And Anyway, he was, um, he was out for days, but he was literally out because he traveled out beyond who knows where. Uh, when he was healed. Uh, he said he used to sit on the front steps of his grandparents' home and wait for the sun to come up because it was the sun was his friend then. He had an understanding about what the sun is uh, as a transducer of etheric energy or something, the way he described it. And then throughout his life, uh, at times when he was 
one time he was imprisoned in his family home in Budapest during, at the end of the Second World War. And um, in solitary confinement, he again spent the time happily traveling out and he, he brought back knowledge of what is on other planets. Now, this is really a far out story, I know, but uh, it, it, as a result, he has um, patents on uh, a wide range of fields, including mineralogy. So that was uh, probably the extreme, <laughs> most fascinating. And and you could just feel in his presence that this, this man was tuned into a more um, sublime, really, definitely, definitely, you could feel the the refinement and culture in his home, and the peace that he lived, peacefulness with his daughter and 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 his wife. And he's he'd been through a lot, you know, death threats and everything, but he was serene, and uh, you could just feel that you're in presence of someone who was tuned in amazing. It must have been incredible to not only interview all these people, but to meet them in person. Yes, it is a real privilege. And I, I think that I was maybe kind of intending to, to do something like this in this life, even though I didn't uh, major in, in hard science, um, because I always seem to end up coincidentally uh, at really interesting places where there was a lot going on. <laughs> Have you ever talked to anyone about quantum physics? I'm sure that is a topic that has often come up, has it? Oh, yes. Um, it's definitely opened uh, up possibilities. But even quantum physics is considered by um, some of the neo-ether, they call themselves, some of the scientists, where they're you know having a new look at the old concept, the ether, but in a new way, um, that even the quantum physicists have a bit of a materialistic um, mindset um, it's just it's just this the style kind of in science during the 20th century to to believe that only matter matters um, so you know there's a spectrum of, of, uh, of quantum scientists of course quantum mechanics it, it, the spectrum uh, from from uh, materialist to um, really open to possibilities of being connected to um, higher dimensions. There's a whole spectrum. It's so interesting. Now, being an expert as you are in society, I want to ask you a question about bullying. Do you have a story you can share with us about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Well, would you mind if I made it scientific again? <laughs> I would appreciate that. Well, I was struck by the attitudes toward Mother Nature, if you want to personify the natural laws and the way things um, move naturally in the universe, um, by uh, scientists who were uh, competing, are competing for who can big, build the biggest laser to, and they actually use terms like blast apart space-time. You know, they're, they're, they're blasting ahead with with building ever more powerful lasers um, and and ever more huge particle accelerators or powerful particle accelerators, um, using that sort of um, violent language, and and saying that uh, 
you know, they don't want to be second in the race. They want to be the first to build the biggest to um, be extreme and break apart space-time. And so I think a mindfulness there would have, would be more like um, a biophysicist that I know, uh, Dr. Beverly Rubick, and she sees uh, nature as um, alive and gentle and, and uh, subtle and beautiful. And, res- and, and scientists such as Dr. Rubick respect the way things want to work in nature rather than try to go in there and blow them apart. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. It's about allowing things to happen. It doesn't mean we shouldn't understand how, how things work, but to force some of these things doesn't seem like a mindful approach at all. Okay, I'm glad you get that. <laughs> Yes. Well, as we approach the end of the interview, Gene, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. Just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Oh, um, I've learned a lot from um, a spiritual teacher, um, learning how to um, tune in by using a um, ancient high vibration word, uh, Hue, H-U. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Uh, that uh, is a leader of, of a uh, science of soul travel called Ekankar. So that's my answer to that one. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Jean? Oh, beautifully. <laughs> you know, I have been uh, in my life experienced being just a, a, a real mess um, before I kind of got... Uh, on a path of of mindfulness, um, we always have the ability to to uh, forget and and dip back into that. But um, the the emotions of insecurity or worrying, fear, uh, and anger. Um, if you're in the moment, um, those things fall away. If you're really in the moment. Exactly. Yes. Tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice. Oh, I often forget that. (laughs) I I get writing uh, away at the computer for hours and forgetting to breathe. Um, But when I do remember, um, it does bring me to the present moment by concentrating on my breath. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? I have one right here beside me. It's called Inner Guidance, Our Divine Birthright by Ann Archer Butcher, B-U-T-C-H-E-R, like the meat butcher. I'll put that into our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. Do you have an app? Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? No, I don't. I'm thrilled to have a chance to talk with you today, Gene, and I know you speak at a lot of conferences. I wanted to ask you, before you head out there onto the stage, do you use mindfulness in any form to stay focused and to be grounded? Yes, and tuning into love is, is part of that exercise. Just knowing that we can tune into love and... and um, letting that go out to the people in the audience. I'm glad you mentioned that. Do you meditate, Jean? I do a, a form, call it contemplation, but pretty much the same thing. And what does that look like? It, you know, as most meditation practices involves 
finding a quiet, peaceful place and centering with your breath. And uh, in, in my case, sometimes I often use the, the word hue, um, that's long drawn out, out breath to uh, tune into um, what I feel is a higher, higher vibration. And just, um, it also helps um, if I really am needing to settle down, I remember to focus on someone or something that I love. It might be the cuddly cat that likes to curl up in my lap. Uh-huh. Or um, one of my grandchildren. And uh, that gets me in the zone. It has been a real pleasure talking to you today, Jean. And tell us how to connect with you. And of course, we want to get our hands on that book that you've been working on as soon as it comes out. Well, I hope that people will, will sign on at um, our website, hiddenenergy.org, and um, sign up for notifications. And we'll have a lot more on the website, too, by fall. Hiddenenergy.org. Yes, we'll check out that website. And thanks again for being on the show, Gene. Thank you, Bruce. It's a pleasure. You're welcome. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, the Waves of Content Meditation. It's a guided meditation just for you, Mindful Tribe. It's free and it's very, very helpful to help you relax and get more focused. With more focus, you can get more things done in life that truly matter to you. On this meditation, I talk about waves and how the waves can bring you the more calm and more relaxed life you've been looking for. Download this guided meditation to calm your mind and relax your body. Mindfulnessmode.com slash waves of content. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.